This is a piece of firewood, right? I took it off of our church's wood pile next to the shed. We have some families here who have been keeping our wood supply nice and full so we can have some, some bonfires in the back. And you guys can look forward to it because this summer we're going to have a campfire-themed vacation Bible school in the evenings, and we're going to have campfires here a whole lot. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk about that another day. But this hunk of wood is very good for burning. It's very good for campfires. It's dry. It's been split. This will burn very good, very long time. But of course, you could make other things out of wood, right? You could build a house out of wood. You could make an idol out of wood. In the Old Testament, God often talks about the foolishness of humans, that they would cut down a tree and use half of it to make a fire and then make an idol like this one out of the other part of the wood, maybe carve it to look like a man or maybe carve it to look like an animal or maybe carve it to look like a human and an animal mixed together and then worship it? And God says, really? You use part of it for a fire to cook your food and to keep warm and the other part you bow down to it and say, you have made me, you are my God? That makes no sense. What can this piece of wood hear? Nothing. If you pray to this piece of wood, it will never hear you. What can this piece of wood see? Can it see you right now? No, it is blind. It is deaf. It is unable to see you. It is unable to hear you. It is not a God. Sometimes we we hear about idols and we think about idols made from wood. And we think, oh, that's silly. People don't do that anymore. But one of the things we want to remember today is that people do still have idols. You and I often have idols. When we look at something and we want blessings, we want comfort, we want good stuff from it, that thing can become a God for us, an idol. Maybe you have a stuffed animal that you love or a blanket that you love. If you're not careful, that stuffed animal or that blanket could become a God for you, a place where you go for comfort and goodness but where's the blessing actually from? It's from God. God's the one who gave you things like blankets and stuffed animals. God's the one who gives you parents who love you and care for you. God's the one who gives you friends and fun places to go in the summertime. God's the one who gives you all your blessings. It's not sinful to have good things. It's only sinful if they become gods to us, if we want to find all comfort and goodness from those things, from those people, from those places. The good news is Jesus never had false gods. He never had idols. Jesus was perfect every day of his life. And he died an innocent death to pay for all the times that you and I have idols in our lives. Thanks to Jesus, we are forgiven all our idols and our eyes are pointed back to the one true God, the God who created us, the God who redeemed us, and the God who sanctifies us, the God who promises us that heaven is ours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes we we sin. Sometimes we have idols in our lives. Sometimes we seek goodness and comfort from places other than, than you. Forgive us those sins. Show us Jesus every day and remind us that those sins are forgiven. Help us to turn to you as our only source of comfort, our only source of blessing. In your name we pray. Amen.
portion of God's Word that we will focus our attention on this morning comes from the Gospel of John chapter 16. It's exactly what Jesus was paraphrased saying in verse 9 of the hymn that we just sang. Jesus says, Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen Redeemer. Amen. If you had a chance to, to read through the today's focus paragraph in the front of your worship folder, you may have first noticed a typo. There's a word in there that's not a word. Inspiriting. It's supposed to be inspiring. A definition for the word wonderful. Wonderful things inspire delight, pleasure, or admiration. Wonderful is also extremely good or marvelous. Here's why I bring it up. The theme is the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that at the end of the sermon, you will agree the Holy Spirit's work is wonderful. But as you listen, Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to come and is going to convict the world in regard to guilt. Convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if you just put that in the context of something you know well, it's not so wonderful. Well, let's say you're at work. And your boss comes to you and says, you messed up. And goes on to tell you how you have made a mistake. And there's all these things that are going to be consequences of your error. Do you enjoy that? Do you find that wonderful to be convicted, convinced of error, of wrongdoing? In your own lives, relationships, spouse, friends. If someone comes to you and says, you're wrong. You're guilty. That's not fun. We don't enjoy that. I don't think that inspires delight in you or inspires pleasure in you or inspires admiration in you. It probably is not viewed as an extremely good moment in your life. Probably wouldn't use the word marvelous to describe it. So what do we mean when we say that this is the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit, that he would convict us in these ways? Well, that's the goal for today. 
The goal for today is to help you see how this is truly wonderful. And we start with a hard one. The fact that the Holy Spirit is going to be sent to convict the world in regard to guilt of sin. In the last year, I've been reminded of a, of a pretty simple principle of communication. The face matters. It, it's good to be able to see the reaction on the face of the people that you are talking to. There were about 10 weeks, a little over a year ago, where I would stand in this room alone and I would preach to a camera. And I got zero feedback from that camera. You all got to see it eventually, but when I was preaching, it was just me and that lens, nothing. And then people started coming back, but of course, this part of the face was covered and I couldn't see anything below the nose. If there was confusion as I preached, I still could see that because that's an eyebrow thing, right? So I could see the eyebrows drop and I could tell somebody was chewing on what I just said, maybe confused, maybe disagreement, not quite sure what to think. But basically all the other feedback that you'd get, which is significant, as you preach before a group of people, that was all covered. Couldn't see that. The reason I bring this up is because sometimes preachers get feedback they don't want to see. Sometimes it happens at a funeral, perhaps, where there's a a room full of people who maybe aren't Lutherans, they're friends of the person who passed, and they came expecting to hear a a eulogy. Oi, lugus, good word. A eulogy is when you speak lots of good words about the person who has died. You could do it for someone who's alive, too, I suppose. But we tend to see that happen culturally at funerals, and you come expecting one thing, a eulogy, a good word, many good words about the person, but instead the pastor starts talking about sin and death and hell, and that the person who died was a sinner, and that you're a sinner, and that we all deserve death and hell, and that this is, this is how things work in a sinful world. And sometimes, sadly, the preacher sees angry head shakes. It's not what humans want to hear. The human heart doesn't want to hear about how evil people are. The human heart doesn't want to hear about sin. It doesn't want to be convicted of guilt and wrongdoing. The human heart, sinful human heart, likes to think that humanity is progressing, that humanity is improving, getting better, that society is improving all the while, that things are getting better and better, more advanced. It's not true. We're every bit as sinful as Adam and Eve after the fall. Sin is always there, and so the Holy Spirit needs to come and convict the world of sin. And as our readings today tie together, sin is always idolatry in some form. Like we talked about already, it's, it's the seeking of blessing of goodness, of comfort from anything other than the one true God. And events in recent history have revealed idols that have probably been there in our culture for a long time, but now we see very, very clearly. Remember, anything that is an idol, anything that is a God to humans, starts off as a good thing. It's a blessing. God gives us blessings, but then when those things become the source to us and we forget God, it becomes an idol. And so a blessing like modern medicine, a blessing like science itself, 
can easily become a God. And the God of modern medicine has been revealed to us in the last year. As human beings looked to their God and saw how weak it really is. As human beings looked and saw that the God of modern medicine didn't have the answers and that it would prove it by the things that it preached. As modern medicine would tell you one thing and then a week later would tell you something totally different because modern medicine was figuring it out as modern medicine went. Because modern medicine can't fix every problem. Modern medicine can heal many diseases, but it can't heal them all. And modern medicine can do nothing about death. Death comes back over and over and over again, like the tolling of a bell. People keep dying. This idol was not created by COVID-19. But it was revealed. It's an idol that I've worshipped, and I'm sure it's an idol you've worshipped during your life. Where at some point you've turned to medicine for comfort and relief, to give you the, the relief from your aches and your pains, to give you the answers that you needed to fix the problems in your life, to heal those you loved, And it can be devastating to see that your God is a fraud and unable to do what you actually want. But how would you know this? How would you see the idols of pleasure? How would you see the idols of experience? How would you see the idols of money? How would you see any of the idols that God has placed in your life if the Holy Spirit did not first convince you that they are there? Because the only thing that God needs to do in his word is compare your idols and mine to himself. The God who hears all of our prayers, the God who knows everything that's going on in our lives, the God who gives life, the God who takes it away, the God who can heal any disease. You just compare your idol to that God and you see it for what it actually is. But again, how would you know? How would you be convicted? How would you be convinced if the Holy Spirit didn't show that idol to you? And the second and third convictions are very closely related to the first. The Holy Spirit must convict us in regard to righteousness because one idol, one time, means we're not righteous. One moment where you leaned on anything or anyone or any place for the goodness and the comfort that you crave is one idol too many. It means you're not righteous and it means you're worthy of hell. That's the verdict you deserve, guilty. The Holy Spirit must convict us in regard to sin, in regard to righteousness, and in regard to judgment because it's reality. It's who we are. But then Jesus explains how this is good. And how this is wonderful. At first, he says that the Holy Spirit must convict the world in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, he says. Did you catch that in the middle of the first paragraph? When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. You see, our natural tendency is not to believe in the one true God. It's to be hostile to him. It's not to see a need for him. It's to go elsewhere. But here's where it gets really good. 
Jesus' answers might seem kind of cryptic to the second and third explanation, but it's pure gospel. He says, in regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Follow this through. The sin that the Holy Spirit reveals in your life, reveals in mine, is what makes us worthy of hell. Jesus suffered the punishment for our sin, for our lack of righteousness, for our hell. When the Father raised him from the dead, the Father declared him not guilty of all the world's sin. And then the Father went one step further. The Father welcomed his Son back into heaven after he ascended. And the only way that Jesus could be welcomed back into heaven was if he was once again truly righteous, truly right with God. You see, the fact that Jesus returns to the Father is the best news in the world. It's for our good that he would return to the Father because it proves that when Jesus offers righteousness to you and me, it's the right kind of righteousness. It's already been accepted by the Father. The proof is that Jesus has been let back in to heaven. And so the fact that Jesus has returned to the Father means your sins really are gone and Jesus' righteousness has been given to you as a gift through faith. You will be accepted into heaven. And the fact that Jesus is there is proof that your, that your righteousness is right, that you are right with God. And finally, that the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world in regard to judgment. Jesus says, this is because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is really cool, too. Remember, this is Monday Thursday. This is before Jesus dies. But he speaks with such certainty that he says the devil has already been condemned. The devil's already been defeated. Jesus' death and resurrection is the final verdict that Satan has been defeated forever and that he will be bound in hell for all eternity. To prove this, Jesus descended into hell. After he rose from the dead, after he had completed our salvation, he marched through hell itself, victorious. Satan couldn't touch him. Hell couldn't hold him. He could come and go as he pleased. Our Savior Jesus has the keys to death, to heaven, to hell. He is the one in charge of everything that happens after death. And his victory brings great comfort to people like you and me. Because you see, the Holy Spirit doesn't stop at convincing us that we are sinful, that we are not righteous, that we are worthy of hell. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points us to the place where our sins were paid for, washed away, where we were made white as snow. The Holy Spirit shows us that Jesus is not here in bodily form, that he has returned to the Father where he rules over all things, that he is righteous once again. You are righteous too. And your righteousness is sufficient. You will be welcomed into heaven just like Jesus was and is. And your verdict is sure. You are not guilty. You are at peace with God. Do you believe this? 
then the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart. You see, the Holy Spirit's work is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not a fire inside of you, it's a fact. That's what Jesus is getting at at the end of our text. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth for a reason. He opens your eyes to see what he has done in you, in me. As he points us to who we are and to who God is, as he points us to what we have done and to what God has done, he works faith in our heart, faith that clings to Christ. He gives us the righteousness that Jesus has earned. You don't need to see proof like speaking in tongues or a certain feeling. You have the facts. You have the truth. The Holy Spirit has worked in your heart. You have the Holy Spirit's wonderful work. His wonderful work is you, that the faith that he has worked in your heart, pointing you to the gospel, pointing you to the truth, so that you could have peace now and forever. The, the Holy Spirit's work truly is wonderful. Amen.